All right, everyone, welcome back to Stories from a Mountain Town. This is your host, Tyler Meany, coming to you from Jackson, Wyoming, as normal. And today with us, we have my girlfriend, Taylor Weiss. Taylor, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Um, as we always do, we had the guest pick a, uh, a cocktail of their choosing to bring, and we pretty much always have this at the house. Taylor's drink of choice is Kendall Jackson Chardonnay. It's a Saddle Butte staple, one of my favorites. Yeah, Vint, Vintner's Reserve. It's a 2017. Um, so we'll pour this out. I already opened it before we started. Glug, glug, glug. <laughs> Just one small glass. What? I'm joking. Cheers, honey. All right. Now that we have business taken care of, I'll show this to the camera. Kendall Jackson. If anybody from Kendall Jackson is is listening, um, would love some bottles of wine. We went to your um, tasting room in Santa Rosa when we were in California recently, right? Yeah, I mean, I feel like we'd be real good sponsors for KJ because we pretty much have this on hand at all times and can take some damn good pictures at the top of the butte with the sunset. And yeah. Some wine and cheese. Yeah, that one that you took in the beginning, uh, more the beginning of the summer with the, the wine and cheese board and the Tetons and the sun setting, how they didn't post that to their Instagram is beyond me because that's they would pay thousands of dollars for a picture like that and you just... Sent it to him. I think there was another bottle of wine in it, wasn't there? That might have been the reason. I don't think so. I think it was oh. just Kendall. I think we did it on purpose, specifically that way. Shoot. Tell tell the listeners why you started drinking um, this this wine. Well, I used to drink like any bottle under ten dollars, and then when Tyler and I started dating, his stepmom Leanne um, introduced me to the finer wines. <laughs> <laughs> the $20 bottles of wine. It's not that expensive in Minnesota. Oh, it's like $12 in Minnesota, but here it's 25 But um, then I weaseled my way into the the next higher level of Chardonnays, so here we are. Yeah, I was getting rattled by her consistently drinking like barefoot Moscatos. Okay, I did not drink like barefoot Moscatos. $2, $2 bottles of wine. Is that at least like, like yellow Okay, tail. you're going to have a real wine, and so we tried this, and, and I've drank plenty of it throughout my time living with Leanne. Um, but yeah. Yeah, we'll keep it. It's pretty good. So, the we are here in Jackson, Wyoming, like we always are, um, and <laughs> Taylor... I finally convinced Taylor to move here in March with me. Um, could you tell listeners a little bit about like the process from your perspective in uh, for us to work everything out to move here, whether that's you know getting your job or the housing or you know all that stuff just from from your perspective? So I never thought we were actually going to move here. I thought this was just an idea in Tyler's head and, and I'd like play along with it for a while and eventually it would go away. But that was not the case. So not the case. I was trying to like ease us into like something a little in between Jackson and 
Minnesota, like Colorado, something a little more accessible, easier to fly to, um, a larger city with bigger hospitals. So I was kind of just trying to steer him that direction, and he was just Jackson or bust, and there was no no other option. So I applied to probably like five or six other hospitals, um, did some interviews in Idaho and Colorado, and then I'd be all pumped up that they wanted another interview, and Tyler just didn't seem like he was into it at all. So um, eventually just started um, looking for jobs in Wyoming, which are not an easy thing to find out here. If you know what you want to do um, and you're not willing to do something else, um, it's a little bit tricky to find a job. So I'm sure if you guys listened to the first episode of this podcast, you heard about um, how I, how I, I, what do you think it's called? Air quotes. Air quotes. I, with air quotes, um, sent an email to the hiring manager, HR, for a job at the hospital in Jackson, but it all worked out, and here we are. Yeah, here we are. Here we are, a and year later. Now, uh, tell, tell them about um, where you work and like what you do and what that's like. Yeah, so I, at the hospital I worked at in Minnesota, worked in a pretty big facility with that did probably like 250 to 400 births a month. So that's like what, I can't do the math, but how many babies a day? A lot. A lot of babies a day. Um, and then when I was looking at the hospital out here, um, it's a different setup. So it's called an LDRP. So they do labors, deliveries, recoveries, postpartums, and nursery babies. Whereas when I worked in Minnesota, I just did uh, labors. So it's been quite the change to go from that to this. It's a whole new, it's the same job, but it's a whole new skill set. And it's entirely different working in a rural community where your doctors aren't in the house and it takes 20 minutes for anesthesia to get to the bedside. So it's taken a lot of adjusting. And my big reason for not wanting to move out here for so long was because I wasn't willing to give up a job where the doctors were there whenever I needed them and the, my patients could get an epidural in five minutes like I didn't really want to give that up and kind of when I applied to it and learned more about it I was still super skeptical about it but then just was kind of like well there's a billion other people that do this job in a hospital that's not like the one that I'm at and apparently it works out just fine for them so it should work out for me so now I've been here for eight months and it's definitely taken a ton of adjusting to get comfortable with um, working in a smaller community but um, loving it and it's a good I think it's really good to have a skill set at both uh, like large and small hospital um, it just makes you a more well-rounded better nurse in general yeah, everyone, the community of Jackson, I've said this before, but they the community loves its locals, but they really, really love um, the types of people that, the, the people that have the careers that are like teachers, nurses, doctors, you know, policemen, firemen, and it's like everywhere we go, um, you know, you ask what you do here in town, and, and she says she's a labor and delivery nurse, and people are just like, so pumped up that you just came here to do that because they recognize that 
it's hard to do that here and the community needs it if it wants to sustain itself and yeah so it's like your uh, taylor is automatically at everyone's good graces when she says what she does to new people that we meet unless they've seen me at the silver dollar on a friday <laughs> or a saturday but that's a different story yeah <laughs> but uh yeah it's really nice it's super strange to be in a place where you where you're like recognized at a grocery store, I guess, I don't know, working in St. Paul, I never ever saw a patient that I've taken care of mm -hmm. ever. And then coming here, it's like, I've probably had like at least 10 people come up to me and be like, oh, um, I think you were my nurse when I had my baby. And I'm like, that's pretty crazy. Pretty cool that people remember you like that. Yeah, well, you're there. You're one of the most pivotal you play a very pivotal role in probably their most important, their best day of their life up to that point. And if they've had other kids, it's equal to that. But for a person who is their first kid, you played a pivotal role in their most important day of their life. That's super, super rewarding. Um, okay, I don't have much complaints about this job. I think it's, I'm super lucky to have it and I would encourage anyone who's trying to be a nurse to explore lots of different areas um, of nursing until you find your what's the word niche until you find your niche mm -hmm. and roll with it because it's super rewarding and a great job when did you when did you decide <laughs> that you wanted to be on the labor and delivery side of nursing um probably so our senior year of college, we had to pick a capstone, which is basically an unpaid internship that you go to like, I forget how many hours, but something like twice a week or something like that for your last semester of college. And I didn't even really have a reason why I wanted to do labor and delivery. I just was like, wow, that sounds fun. Actually, I think part of it was because my mom um, worked in a neonatal intensive care unit for a lot of years. So... I grew up like watching her um, take care of families and infants and running into those families at the grocery store or at like school conferences and I always thought that was super cool. So I think that's where my interest started in it and then I just did that capstone in OB and it was everything about it felt right. So I was like, oh, I got to get into this. This has got to be my career. So then once you graduate college and have to find a job, and you can't get one in OB because it's super rare for anyone to graduate and get a job straight into the specialty they're looking to go into for the rest of their career. Um, you usually have to go work a med surge unit, which there's nothing wrong with working med surge. I just don't have the passion or the desire to do that. And I kind of knew I wanted to do something different. So I put in my nine months in um, med surge and then switched over to OB and learned everything I know now and it's been perfect. Awesome. Do they do they do any anything to like help you try to pick what part of nursing to go that you want a career in when you're in college? Not really. Like they how to prep you for boards. They prep you for boards, but you definitely get like a clinical rotation in all the different specialties. So I had a clinical rotation in Duluth and in their labor and delivery unit, but I remember like they didn't even have a baby or I don't even think they had a patient that day. So that doesn't tell you anything about like if you're gonna like it or not. Yeah. 
So I think a lot of people get stuck in um, fields that they don't really want to be in just because they haven't experienced something else. And it's hard once you get super familiar with um, your job. Like you're like, oh, I know exactly what I'm doing in my med surge job. It's really hard to want to switch to something different because you feel super vulnerable, really like you have no idea what you're doing um, whenever you switch to a new field just because it takes, what, six months a year to feel like comfortable in the new area that you decide to go to. Mm-hmm. I think that, that extends beyond nursing for sure. in that um, nobody is, unless you're in like a trade school because that's like directly to a job, nobody's really like helping you to decide what kind of job to do with your degree or mm-hmm. what, you know, kind of thing interests you. It's always just, it's just like, you have to learn all this stuff, whether it's for boards or to go to grad school or just like pass these tests, but it's never like, how do I figure out what I like to do uh, or what I want to do for my job, which is, what do I, keep, what do I say to you? It's like 70% of your life. You're working. Is, yeah, you're working. Yeah. So what do, I want to do, what do I want to do for 70, 70% of my life within this field that I've picked in major, in your major, whether that's marketing or nursing, because there's still so much within those fields. And um, there aren't really, there isn't really a, a super good way to just try things out. You know, yeah. internships are great, but you kind of, I mean, they're for a summer or a few months or a, or a semester or something. But if you get into one that you don't like, you know, you can't really jump around. You can't really just be like, oh, I'm going to try this for a week, that for a week and see maybe, you know, something will pop up that you maybe, that you didn't think would be enjoyable, but you can try that thing because it's, it, you're not going for like a long-term. I mean, period. I remember like starting my job in med surge at a little hospital in Coon Rapids, Minnesota. And um, I had worked there for like three months and I was like, shit, is this really what I signed up to do for the rest of my life? Because I was like miserable. Like I like taking care of people. It just wasn't the, the, I didn't have any interest in it. So like I loved my patients, but I didn't, I didn't love the field that I was working in. Mm -hmm. So I was like super freaked out. I was like looking at Googling like what to do when you don't like your job and you're a nurse. Like I had no idea what I was going to do because I could not. You and your sister did that I know. It's so bad. But, but I was like, uh, I had applied to like my 20th OB job and still hadn't gotten it. And then finally United Hospital took a chance on a young girl from Andover, Minnesota. They didn't. They didn't take a chance. Taylor Taylor is an extremely good nurse, but the um, the way that most nursing is, and certainly that in OB, it seems like none of them have um, very high confidence in their abilities because there's always the potential for really bad stuff to happen. I mean, I think we're confident, but we don't show it because we know that the second we show it, shit's going to hit the fan and all hell's going to break loose. So we try to tone it down a bit and just always be aware that you don't know what's going to happen with your patients and anything terrible can happen at any moment in time and you need to be prepared and ready to deal with it. Like if you get cocky and you get too confident, I don't know if this is the truth, but 
all of I know the majority of people I work with feel like this, then that's when you start not like performing well at your job. Turns out nurses are actually the most superstitious yeah, people in the world. That's bad. Not yes. not athletes, not uh, I don't know, like a stockbroker or something. Speaking of, there was a full moon about a week ago. Uh huh. And, and what does that mean? Oh, it, for means, nursing? it means chaos. Chaos. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, the chaos. wolves are running in the in the woods, and the babies are not behaving. They're popping out everywhere. Uh huh. Yeah, it's rough. Speaking of wolves, um, for those just listening, Bridger here is sitting right to my right. We're just on our couch here at home, and then. Maverick was just sitting on Taylor's lap, but has now decided to land the floor. Um, but these guys are really naughty. They're they're kind of naughty sometimes. They kind of ran away a little bit today when I was just here working at the house, um, and then I went. I started driving in our neighborhood to try to find them, and then I just drive back past our house, and they were at the front door waiting for me. <laughs> So who knows where they went, but they were really breathing heavily when they came back. So that means they probably were chasing and a they're deer. They're super tired tonight, so they were up to no good this yeah. morning. <laughs> Naughty yeah. boys. But these guys are pretty much our life. Most of most of the stuff we do is to like get them out on adventures or to take care of them. And we do stuff on our own too, but it's... I don't want to say it's like having a kid because that's totally different. That's a that's whole other human. That's a furry kid that you can put in the kennel but it's and just, leave at home on its own. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, it's not a new human. It's not, it bridges on the potential to, you know, like, cure cancer or be the next Hitler. <laughs> but there is, But it is something to learn how to take care of, and it... Um, um, it does it makes a lot. you it teaches you to be responsible. It does a lot for like your relationship with another person too because like I there'll be times where I'm like don't let the dogs do this or don't let the dogs do that and it's like you have to figure out like almost sounds really dumb but like your parenting style kind yeah. of with a dog but your it's dog like ownership style. it's super good skills to learn and like compromise whatever I don't know I feel like it's been really good for our relationship to have them and parent them <laughs> yeah and having them or um when i got bridger we weren't together but it um it kind of drove us together to just like get them out on walks and do stuff with the dogs just to get the dogs together and to get the dogs out and then we already had we were already friends before that um but they definitely push us more together and then and now they're brothers and now they're brothers yeah there was they immediately loved each other and they were like they would like snuggle sitting in the yard together like spooning basically so cute and now they're basically just one unit and um since i work from home and kind of do and i you know worked in the day i'm with them basically 24 7 so Maverick is just kind of like my dog, and Bridger is basically just your dog, also. Yeah, we There's not really a division of like who's who. Mine and mine and hers. Other than Maverick, <laughs> my shadow. <laughs> Maverick, Maverick is the biggest mama's boy I've ever seen. Like I can't pee without him in the bathroom with me. It's so cute, but like also, what are you doing, dog? Yeah, he. So Taylor works nights. So Maverick will sleep 
in the bed with me at night while Taylor's working, and then I get up with the boys and like lay go to the bathroom and have breakfast. And breakfast. Taylor Taylor gets home and then she goes to bed, and then he will like beeline it into the bed to sleep with her all day. Like and until I have to, like, 3 p.m., 4 yeah, p.m. I have to, like, drag him out of there to let him, make him go to the bathroom or do anything or, like, if I'm going to go on a hike or something. He, like, yeah, I just have to like, drag him out of there. He wants to be around her all the time. And if she goes on errands, he'll, like, walk up to the door <laughs> and just want to go do errands with her, even though it's just Like, I'm just going in the to car. the post office and grocery shopping, and he's yeah, he can't even come in. He's he so just, excited to come with. Yeah. He's such a mama's boy. He's real special. Yeah. Um, tell the listeners about um, how we started, how we got together. Oh, man. Whoa. You guys have time for this? <laughs> <laughs> so we, Taylor and I, uh, been, we met freshman year of college, and... Um, I'll, I'll tell this to anybody who wants to listen to it. I tried to date her when I first met her, what, but she like was too 19. She was too cool for me. No. And so then we, you know, we're still friends, but we dated other people. And then uh, after graduated college and whatever, we were just um, we both became single around a similar time and were like hanging out with the dogs and stuff. And, and then there was one fateful weekend where Tyler invited himself to my family's cabin. Mark my words. No, he was not invited. No. Uh, I was texting with Taylor Rosemark and your sister, Allie. And I think it was Allie who sent me the address and said, yeah, come up here. And then Taylor was saying to come up there also and I was actually in St. Cloud for my grandma's birthday. And I drove... Five hours. I drove from St. Cloud to Grand Rapids. And I don't know how long it was. Like a long-ass time. All because of... I knew that I wanted to try to date you. And I knew the potential that it had just from knowing you as a friend. So I knew I had to make it happen. He was the only one that knew that. Well, I'm a man who does what it takes to get, get what he wants. That's true. And I want to date you. And I knew if it didn't work out, it would ruin our friendship, probably. But I knew that it would, it would work out. Well, so far it has. <laughs> um, and that it would be worth it. So here we are, 2.5 years later. We had a podcast in Jacksonville, Wyoming. Yeah. If you had told, what year was that? 27, 2017. 2017, Tyler, that in two years, in two and a half years, you would be living with Taylor Weiss and dating her, and you'd be living in Jackson Hole, and I already had a dog at that point, but, and you both have your dogs. And you started your own marketing company. Oh, right. <laughs> I, I would not have believed you. I would have lost my mind. That would have been, that would have been incredible if someone had told me that. Pretty cool. It's it's kind of a dream. Yeah, we're living the dream right she, now. And, and and you too. You get to, um, you 
I mean, the differences between an urban hospital and a rural hospital are significant. But you got to do night shift. You got to do 12-hour shifts. And oh, you yeah. got to be Shout in labor delivery. Shout out to all my night shifters out there. Yeah. It's a tough life we're living, but yeah, we're doing it. It is. So it's super tough on the people doing it. And I'm not saying my struggle is more, but it's but it's something that I had to adjust to in learning how to, you know, date and care for someone who's A, in the, in the medical field, and B, works nights. Because all of my family members um, are, like, like in five. business. Yeah, are, like, like my, my dad and my stepmom are in sales. Um, my mom is in it, works in downtown Minneapolis, just in a business, just 9 to 5, normal stuff. Um and not to like lessen that at all, but it it is like no it, to lessen that. Well, no, it's just a significant like it's when we started dating, I was working day nights, so at least yeah. like we were getting to have dinner together or I don't know anything that regular people do on in the evenings. We'd still get to do that because I'd get home from work at eight p.m. and then go to work at seven a.m. But I switched to full time nights probably what three months after we started dating. Yeah. And that was like something I thought about, had thought about for a while. Like I always knew I wanted to do it, but it kind of, I was questioning it once we started dating because I was like, how is this going to affect our relationship to never, to only what, three, four days a week be able to see each other from, for a few hours a day? I don't know. I pondered it for a little bit, but when we worked in Minnesota or when we lived in Minnesota, um, the pay was a lot better to work nights. You usually got your days all scheduled in a row so you could have more days off. Um, and it just was a better gig for me at the time. And then I kind of grew to love nights. And it sometimes sucks because you miss out on stuff and you sleep during the day. But it's a lot easier in the winter because it's it? dark out. Yeah, for sure. I don't know. Summer, I have a hard time because I just want to be awake during the day. Winter, it's dark at like 4 or 5 p.m., so I can easily like... And there's know. not as much... You don't feel like you're missing out on yeah. as much. Yeah, there's like... Even though like you would go to work at like 6.30, yeah. there's still like three hours that I'm doing stuff after she leaves or like just that she feels like she's missing out and on. And has happy hour with his friends or anything like that that you're like, oh, if I only work till 7.30 or 8 p.m., I could go do that, but... You can't really do that when you work nights because you can't drink and go to work. But <laughs> but it's, yeah. it's an adjustment, but it's I love it. And my struggle was uh, figuring out how to prioritize um, the slim time that we have together when you're in the stretches that you're working because um, like figuring out my, my daily schedule of like, okay, I'll work during the day and then maybe I want to do a hike or a bike ride or golf or something, but I have to... I want to be home for the time that you, between you get up and then you leave so we can either just like be awake in the same room together just to be around each other or to make dinner or whatever. And so like, I didn't quite get that at first because I had never been a part of that. You gotta work like really hard to carve out the time. Otherwise you won't like, a lot of times here now I work like five on six off or something crazy like that but it's wonderful but it's like you don't even see each other for five days really yeah there's sometimes when it just doesn't work out that i'm not around to the time that you're up or or whatever and 
but hey, we just like it probably worked out best for us. <laughs> yeah, there. Well, there's never. I never have to worry about needing alone time. Maybe in these yeah. Taylor's off for the next eight days. Oh boy! And I, this will probably be the longest one of your vacations. Yeah. One of the longest stretches of time together. Of time together every yeah. single day since you started going nights. We'll see if um, this relationship is still together. <laughs> see we'll in report eight days. back in eight days. <laughs> yeah, but I never, I never have to worry about like needing alone time because I can get that three mm-hmm. days a week. Five. Five days. Yeah. Well, yeah, whatever it is. Works out pretty good. Yeah, definitely. So, um, if we could go into mountain. Just so you guys can't see this, but Bridger is sleeping next to us right now. And his little cute paws are like um, running next to each other. Like, you know, when dogs run in there sleep. The camera's going. Oh, but his it's little adorable. toes do this. They just like twitch when he's sleeping. It's so cute. Okay, moving yeah. on. Um, to go into, go back into kind of the mountain stuff, um, mountain town stuff. What was your first impression of Jackson when I first brought you here? We came, we came here. Um, Summer. In the, in the yeah, in like August of the first, like maybe four months after we started dating. We drove out from Minnesota, loaded up um, her Nissan Rogue uh, with the dogs and a, a, a topper thing, and we and like Yeti, got some Airbnb, got an Airbnb and camped and stuff. So, what was your what was your first impression of this whole valley and just like real mountains? You've been to you've been to nowhere. Denver? I mean, you like I've been to Denver, and but we never really like I went to Denver for my little sister's volleyball tournament. It wasn't, and we did a few things and. I don't know, I've been a couple places, but man, when you come here, it's like, I always say, you're just like walking along, biking along, driving along, and all of a sudden, bam, the Tetons like hit you in the face. They're so big, yeah, so magnificent. Like, you're just, I don't know, you're, you're just like on your drive, and all of a sudden, they're just right in front of you, and they're huge and beautiful, and I had never really experienced that before, and coming to um, well, Mountain Town in the summer, I was like, "What the heck are we gonna do here in the summer?" I thought it was just like for skiing and yeah, whatever there's way more else. to do in the summer. But highly recommend going. Don't come here because it's already too busy. No, we're go to Vail or go to yeah, go go to, go to any Park mountain City. town in the summer because <laughs> there is so much to do. Like all the hikes are so awesome. Like we've. We hiked up to a lake in freaking, what was it? The end of June yeah. with some of our friends. The lake at the top was still frozen. And it, it was snowing yeah. when we got to the top. Like, where can you say that you could ever... And we were in shorts, that? too. Yeah. It wasn't like it was cold in the valley. It was, like, warm. Yeah. I mean, it was, like, 60 degrees when we started at the bottom. By the time we got to the top, it was probably, like, 30, snowing, windy... I don't know. You just, you don't, you can't really experience that a lot of places and um, it's pretty sweet. We, our first time out here, we went camping at, um, don't tell them the spot. We won't tell you the spot. And There's a place tag responsibly out, keep yeah, Jackson Hole tag responsibly keep Jackson Hole wild. There's a, there's a campsite. If you know me close enough, know us close enough, text us and we'll tell you, but we're not going to say it over the podcast. Um, there's a, campground area out in the Grovant Wilderness. Um, 
that's as much as I'll tell you, but it's right along this river. this creek, this river, um, with these enormous mountains and like red rock hills all around you. And it's something that you can't even like make up or like Google yeah. in a picture to see like red rocks, the Tetons, any mountain yeah, range. You can see you can see a river, a bright blue it's river. Al- it's almost like remember those geographic um, pictures, graphics that showed you the different types of geological features, you know, in like in textbooks and like middle oh, school yeah, textbooks, yeah, yeah. which showed like mountain, river, yeah. ocean. It's like that, but in real life, because you go to this one spot, like, you know, up where you can see everything. Mm-hmm. In one location, just looking one direction, you can see the Grand Teton and the the, the big three peaks of the Tetons. Um, you can see red rock formations, so something you might picture in, like, Utah or Arizona. Yeah. Um, you can see uh, this cool, this is probably the coolest ranch in the world. It's like this big green pastures with horses and stuff and a big like ranch house and like the, the buck rail fences and like a teal river like i've had yeah. i have real feels for a river that's like bright blue yeah which you don't i mean like a lot of places especially in the midwest they're like a brown color you don't really see the like mm-hmm. turquoise blue rivers so that was like so crazy to me to see that on top yeah. of all the other things we already seen but that yeah. kind of is one of the things that we first came here and I was like, oh my gosh, this is insane. Um, and then what else did we do when we were here? Oh, we went like paragliding? Did we do that? Yeah, yeah. yeah well, we spent time around the resort, um, the Jacksonville Mountain Resort, and our oldest friend here, Fred Harness, is a paragliding pilot, a tandem paragliding pilot. So there's a you know a group that does it from the resort, and he does it, does it through them part-time and takes people up. Uh, but he's taken me up like five times now, and it just worked out where he was able to get us both in like consecutive runs, and he loves doing it, so he was super happy too. So what what do you think of that? Insane, do it like yeah. I walk them walk them through okay um, like the the setup for taking off. So you ride the tram up to the top of the mountain at what ten thousand four hundred. 10,450 10, vertical feet and you walk off the tram and it's like 20 degrees out because it's the morning even when it's the summer it's so cold and you walk out with your instructor and you watch everybody else go and they're like okay you're just gonna run off the back of this mountain <laughs> into the air and don't stop running until I tell you to stop so you're like running man in the air feet still running yeah <laughs> and you're in the air like it's super silly looking but fred is like shout out to fred we love fred but fred is like probably like a few inches shorter and probably like 20 less pounds (laughs) than i am he's in great shape but i was like how is this man gonna hold me in the air (laughs) like i was so confused on the the um like how this was gonna work out Uh and we did it and we were running 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 all of a sudden we're in the air and then next thing you knew freddie's doing like Toilet bowl swirls and yeah. we're we're like twenty feet off the top of like a rope climbing thing where oh it was scary he's like oh gosh the wind's not picking up we're not quite getting high enough yeah because this, I'm not gonna die out here but no it was freaking sweet 
and I would do it again. It's just that it's like 300 bucks or something stupid like that. Yeah, but, but it has everybody to be, do it, do it once and experience it. Yeah. Any like valley, mountain town, anything that you go to, wherever Colorado, um, Utah, you whatever can't it is. Do it everywhere. Well, wherever they offer it, do it because it's sweet. Yeah, you, so, so the, one of the reasons that you can do it here and you can't do it everywhere <laughs> is because uh, the Tetons have so much uh, exposed granite and like this dark rock. When the sun hits it, it the sun hits the rocks and sends these uh, kind of pillars or shoots of hot air up into the sky. And so you just, you fly out over those and you catch those drafts and you circle up really high. And it's the same thing that birds do out here, like hawks and eagles. They hit these same drafts and go up really high. And not everywhere you can do that because there's not the exposed granite like there is here. Like you can do it, uh, I think like in Switzerland people do it the same way. And then you can do what, what they call speed flying. Like I, I've seen people do it in near Park City, but that's like not as high they take a smaller sail and they just kind of run off of a cliff and it keeps them up in the air, but they don't go like, like yeah. when you do this paragliding, you can go You're like soaring. way above the like peak of the resort. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was our first rip to Jackson. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure we did a lot of other things. We did a lot of hikes. Hi, Bridger. Um, and then we came back in, what was that? Oh, there we go. We came back in, well, we didn't plan this, but we decided it would be fun to go to Park City in like January or February of a couple of years ago. Well, it just so happened to be like the one year that they didn't have any snow. Like the worst year, the worst winter in the last 50 years in Utah was the one that we went to Utah. And we drove out there from Minnesota, stayed at this beautiful little cabin on a, on a creek, um, it was like a studio log cabin. I don't guest, know. It was yeah, amazing. Guest house to this big mansion. Yeah. And like 20 minutes outside of uh, the resort there. Yeah. So we were super pumped about it. And then we go to the resort the first day. And I'm like, oh, this place is so cool. We like ride the lift up to the top, start coming down. You're freaking like, I had just started skiing. I'm not, I try, I'm not a skier. I'm a try to skier. But um, <laughs> trying to ski there with my brand new skis that I was very protective of, they were just like clashing over rocks because snow was not covering the ground, running into boulders, just like not what I anticipated at all. Um, and <laughs> eventually we were just, after like, what, two days of it, we skied there and we were like, this sucks. This is not fun at all. Like the most fun part was probably going to... That distillery? What was it? Yeah. Still West. St- no, no. Still. Still. No, it wasn't still anything. West. It was a whiskey place. Whatever. The park. If you ever get to go to Park City, Park City's pretty sweet. Um, probably even sweeter oh, if God. they have snow. But um, you. the cool part about their resort is that you can ride your, like you can ski your snowboard all the way down to the bottom, take your skis off and like walk to a bar. High West. High West. That's what it's called. That's a brand of whiskey, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So in Park um, City, they have a lift that comes right out of like the what they might call downtown Park City, where all the fun bars are, and you can so you can ski and ride right down to the door of this distillery. That was probably our favorite part. The rest of it was absolutely terrible. 
Um, Tyler took me on a, a little adventure through the trees um, where I literally was like doing the splits between a tree a few times. Um, skis flying off poles 20 yeah. feet away from me. It was a disaster. There was, there was so little to do because for the listeners from Minnesota, uh, Afton Alps had a bigger snowpack, which means what snow was on the ground at that moment. So like picture than Park any city. non-mountain so, city, like what? Any, if you live in Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan, anything in the Midwest and you're skiing there, it's all right. But, and then you go to a mountain and you're expecting it to be like huge. It was so jumpy that year. It's big. It's big, but like there was always big, but there just wasn't, there was so little to do. Like any of this, any of the hard stuff that I would have fun doing wasn't even open because that would have more rocks and it wasn't even covered. So. Third day, we were like, so yeah, then we, we, we were texting, Jackson. we're looking at, yeah, looking at like the, the apps, the weather apps and seeing that Jackson's getting snow like it often does here. We texted Fred and said, hey, is it, how's the snow up there? We're in Park City. We're thinking of coming up there because the snow's really bad here. And we do. And it's dumping in Jackson. We're yeah. driving. We drove, what is it, like five hours? No, four hours. It's not even far. Like. The only reason we were like kind of hesitant to come here was because we had already paid for our Airbnb and then we would have to find a place to stay here and we weren't going to get refunded for anything in Park City. So we were like, well, let's just do it. Let's go. It was like Valentine's Day weekend, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is our Valentine's treat. Um, And we drove to Jackson and we're like two miles from the resort and we get pulled over (laughs) and it's dumping snow and we're just like so pumped to get there. And the officer... The ossifer was like, um, can you tell me why you're speeding? And Tyler, what'd you say? You tell him. I can't remember it. I said I'm, I was speeding to get to the powder. You're like, I just, sorry, sir. I just can't wait to get to the powder. There's no snow in Park City. And he let us off with a warning. He's like, yep, go out there, have fun. It was great. Um, we That was my first time skiing here, doing tram laps. It was crazy. Like, I'm not a good, I'm not a good skier. I just enjoy the snow but um, what was, yeah what was your was first insane. impression of skiing here i mean i was I like saw, you saw the mountain on the tram in the summer and then to see it transform into what i just in like in my head couldn't understand how you can ski that like in the <laughs> summer i was like it doesn't make any sense it's cliffs and it's whatever and then you get here in the winter and everything's covered and you ride the tram to the top and tyler's like read this sign what does it say it's like this mountain, this mountain is like nothing you've ever skied before. Uh, there's expert terrain off like off blah the top blah of the blah. Tram. You could die. Yeah, there are in there's cliffs inbounds, so please follow all closed and cliff signs. If you do go out of the gates, have a beacon, blah have blah a blah. Probe and okay, that's doing. what it says. So <laughs> we're like waiting to go up the tram, and I've skied probably six times prior to this, and I'm like I am not cut out for this at all. We get to the top and. I mean, shit, you've got no choice. If you start, like, skiing, like, 10 feet, you're going. Like, you don't get to, like, take your skis off and walk back to the tram. You're committed at that point. And at that time of the year, like, you didn't have to be that, like, you didn't have to have a lot of skill to get down it. It was powder when we were there, and I don't know. I felt that it was pretty, it wasn't difficult to get down it. It was just, like, amazing to, like, rip through the snow like that. Yeah, there's a and lot of powder that day, and that, and that makes it less scary because you're not you're never really going that fast when it's a powder day. 
but you get that joy of feeling the powder. Yeah, it was pretty sweet. So I took her down the top of the tram. You have to go down Rendezvous Bowl, which is a black diamond. It's this big, wide open bowl. It is pretty steep, definitely a black diamond steepness. But it's really wide. You can just kind of inch your way down if you're not sure. And that's always got amazing powder on powder days because it's the top of the mountain. And the snow, um, it faces kind of east, southeast. So the snow, most of the storms come from the west in Jackson and they come up over the Rendezvous Mountain and then they blow all that snow into Rendezvous Bowl and so it's just packed in, and not packed in there, just stuffed in there. And yeah, then we took what took it down a little bit farther and there's this little line of cliffs that I know how to get through without having to do any sort of drops. And we were, we were going, getting our way through there and Taylor did a great job, even though like if you look at, then I showed it to her in the summer and the next time we were there and it's just like straight cliffs that you skied through. But because of the amount of snow, you don't need to, it's not very steep. It's not very long. It does not like a jump or anything where for someone like Taylor can get down it just fine. We don't know about that anymore. We'll see how this winter goes. That little incident last December. <laughs> yeah. Tell them about that. Oh gosh. I don't know. Do I want to? So we went skiing at Spirit Mountain in Duluth, um, Minnesota, which was so fun until like an hour and a half into being there when I thought I had like, I was the shit and I was ripping down some rolling hills and took a huge digger and dislocated my hip and broke my arm. So this is an ongoing recovery. We will see how this winter goes in Jackson. I'm not confident in my abilities anymore, but I'm going to try. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah. She, she, you've done a lot though in re-strengthening and like we do a lot of hikes and she does a lot of biking. So you've given it a really great effort to get back to a place you can just still do If the I can't get back to, to it after this, it's probably a matter of like reconstructing what I messed up because I feel like the only thing more I could be doing is like some sort of like I don't know, lunging, jumping, whatever those activities are. A lot of the stuff we do here, I like try to get myself on different like rounds and turns and I don't know, just stuff that like strengthens the mobility of the hip. And if it doesn't work out this winter, it's probably not going to work out. And we'll have to do something to fix it, but we'll see how it goes. I think it'll work out. Um, to that, that quarterback for Alabama, so oh, yeah. he dislocated mm -hmm. his hip. He had to get surgery for it. But that's because they need him to be back for oh, next football yeah. season. Because he'll get he'll get drafted and stuff. But Yeah, they don't need me that much. Yeah. It's interesting how people how like doctors react differently if you're like an athlete, a college athlete, high school athlete, versus if you're just like someone who just has a job. Like yeah. they were like, We're not really gonna do anything. Like it's in it's back in. Like after they put it back in. They were like, oh, we're not really going to do anything because you're just a, you're a nurse, so you don't like need this ASAP. No, I just needed four weeks off of work with no pay, but yeah, yeah. but no, I get what you're saying. Um, I had a super great doctor in Duluth, uh, Dr. Hank, shout out to Dr. Hank, who's been my doctor for two different occurrences in Duluth, but he's a shit. Um, he popped that hip right back into place and we're kicking now. But um, then I started going to, what's it called, Tax 
some at orthopedic, which is also super great. Um, if you have an injury and you are local to Minnesota, Summit Orthopedic is wonderful. Um, I did some physical therapy and, uh, like, ortho appointments through them. And things were going super well when I left. The thing is that you need, what is it, like, 12 PT appointments, or I'm probably wrong, some sort of P amount of PT appointments before they, they, your insurance will cover a surgery. So when I left, I was like, oh, everything is great. I don't need surgery, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then I came here, and I don't know. We'll see if it needs to happen or not. But Yeah, that was super gross. I was in the room when they reset her hip. And um, like I said before, I don't really have like anybody in my family that has a medical background. Um, he was know, green. Some cousins do. Yeah, so green I was like in the, in the room with her. And her hip was like out and she's all like loopy and in pain. She was in so much pain. It was just, it was really hard to watch. It's the kind of pain where you're just like, this sucks so much. Like I definitely screamed a couple times when we were on. <laughs> you screamed at, a lot. Yeah. When we were at Spirit Mountain, they were trying to figure out how to like get me onto a backboard and get me to the ambulance. But uh, there was a lot less screaming once I was off of the snow. But it was the kind of pain where you're just like. I don't know, someone who's probably been injured before knows what I'm talking about, but where you, like, you're not even talking. You're just, like, it's, like, shock, but, like, just, I can't explain it. You're just, like... Well, your body goes into Ugh. shock, and it can pretty much dull any pain. Yeah. Like, when I tore my ACL, less painful than a dislocated hip. I don't know. What? You think? Oh, yeah, for sure, yeah. They say dislocated hip's, like, one of the most painful things you can do. Um, but when I tore my ACL, like... My body went into so much shock in that moment. Like, I walked back across the field. Yeah, no, there's no, there's no walking. And that, that's different in yeah. that sense because you, your body isn't, work, isn't working right. You're hit, your bones in was, your ass. Yeah. You can't move. But, yeah, so she's in the hospital. They're, like, giving her drugs that, like, knock her out to reset it. And then they bring another doctor in. And I was like, oh, they'll just, like, hold. They'll be on the ground and, they'll like, pull her leg. And this second doctor stands up on the table. On the bed. On the on the bed, yeah. And grabs her leg and just pull like rips with his whole body and I you just hear like a like a knocking noise. I don't know if you can hear that heard that on the microphone. But and then her and I could you could like see you know, because she's in the hospital gun. You could just see the bone move like out of her butt back into place. And it was just the grossest noise ever. And then they're like, Oh good, she's she's it's back in. And then they, she was like, she was fighting the anesthesia a little bit. So they had to give her more than they thought. So then to get her back, she took a little bit to get, come back. <laughs> You're like, and ready. I'm like standing there because I don't know anything she about it. She couldn't breathe. I'm like, am I about to lose Taylor because of this, <laughs> this, this drug, these drugs? This is propofol, Michael Jackson. That Michael that Jackson shit. I'm pretty sure. I could be wrong. I thought, no, I thought. Michael Jackson. Prince, Michael took, Jackson. Yeah. I can't remember. One of them did propofol. Prince. Prince did the one. They well, actually they both. Uh, actually, no. All three of them and Tom Petty did the one. The one that you give. Fentanyl. Um, fentanyl. Yeah. yeah. Not. They did not get. It, well, they probably got it prescri prescribed by a fake doctor, but um, or a doctor that just gives them drugs. But they all did. Um, fentanyl. Fentanyl. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because fentanyl is. Like, it's an opiate, 
and it's there's been some like documentaries and podcasts I've listened to. It's like one of the closest feelings to like heroin. So a lot of like people who do heroin or start with fentanyl mm -hmm. because they have some sort of prescription or something mm -hmm. or a fentanyl version of it. And then they run out of that so they end up start doing start to do heroin because it feels the same but it's cheaper. And so there's this big issue of people obviously if you've seen anything on the news of the opioid uh, crisis epidemic. epidemic it all stems from getting these drugs that are safe within reason within a good amount from doctors and you've stuff. got shoulder surgery ouch it hurts here's some percocet like yeah like more than you yeah. need when i got my acl repaired like they gave me so much i, I mean we probably have it. like four or five bottles of percocet and oxycodone sitting in our house that we need to just like I don't know what you do with it, bring it to the pharmacy or what you do because yeah. like it definitely I understand your the perspective of being a doctor and make making sure that everyone's pain is under control, but um and I don't think it's their fault at all. It's totally that people get whether that's like they take advantage of it or they get addicted. I don't know. I don't in my personal opinion, I don't I don't feel like you're getting addicted from a week of Percocet. Like, I've taken it. I've never felt anything great from it um, when I've been hurt. Like, I've never felt that it was making me feel like it's something I want to take every day. I don't know. I've never it's, really yeah, understood that. Yeah, like it's not like a euphoria that no. you feel that you might feel from other things. But I know that other people, people different people have way. different yeah. struggles than us and whatever might affect them differently. So I don't blame the doctors at all, but I know that they're in a really tough spot between what's too much and what's not enough and it's a it's an issue right now for sure yeah for sure but anywho um so let's see here so bringing it back to um again to mountain town living um you've kind of had some frustrations with moving to a town that we don't really know anybody in and um and jackson specifically the the guy to girl ratio is like seven to one so ten to one <laughs> yeah so could you just talk through some of your frustrations with like finding friends that are girls and cool yeah. people to hang out with so um i think that's something i totally underestimated when we moved here um, I was just like, I don't know, you, when you're moving, you kind of get caught up in the idea of, oh my gosh, we're moving to a new city, we're going to meet new friends, like you're going to miss your friends, but it's exciting and it's new and it's cool, but you don't really fully grasp how difficult it's going to be. Um, it was super hard when I first moved here, like I think I started my job two or three days after we moved here and I have awesome coworkers, um, but the, the amount of coworkers I have here is like nothing compared to the amount of coworkers I had at home. So that amount of people that you're meeting is like significantly less than it would be in a larger city. Um, so we moved here and honestly, I think it took me like six months to meet friends. Like I don't, I feel like I'm a pretty outgoing, not even, out, I don't know. I'm just like willing to meet new people. And Tyler's a lot better than I am about just striking up a conversation with someone new um I'm not that great at that but I will 
if the conversation's already going, I'll definitely like contribute to it and try to be friends with that person. But shit, it was so hard. Like there is just not many girls here. Um, I think we we were at a bar a few weeks after we moved here. Tyler met his friend Jeff, who was on episode two. Episode three is our first guest. Three? And then we love shortly, Jeff. shortly after, through Jeff, met Alex and Noah, which you've heard on the Poor podcast boys. already. Yeah. Which, love you boys. The whole, the whole meeting new friends thing was totally flipped. We thought, we thought most I'd people have thought friends. that Taylor would have friends from work, <laughs> and I wouldn't because I work at home. Oh, how wrong. And I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I don't feel I need friends as much as Taylor wants to have be around friends all the time. What? Yeah. So I was like more okay with just like, ah, oh, whatever. If friends come, they, they'll come. Like, yeah. And then we, like two weeks after we moved here. I like was like I said, crying random, at Randomly night. met, you know, this guy Jeff and now we have a great group of friends. Yeah. But it was hard. It was like, I've never really been in a position where I've been super sad that I didn't feel like I had any friends that I was like, would get in these little sad bunks where I would just be sad for like two, three days and, cry in my bed and watch stupid shows on Netflix, which is so pathetic because we definitely had a million other things to do, but, Mm -hmm. but I was just kind of pouting because I would see our friends from home hanging out and I'd be so sad that we weren't there with them, that I didn't have that here with other people. Um, but it's getting a lot better. Uh, I've definitely met a few friends who I like a lot. Um, and, she, and who also have, feel the same in the way that I do. Like, I've met, like, four or five girls that are like, yeah, I had the same feelings when I moved here. So just to have that, like, how you feel validated by another person makes you feel a little better, too. Because you're like, okay, it's not just me. I don't suck at making friends. It's that, like, everybody who comes here is a tourist, and it's really difficult to meet a, like, good core group of people. Yeah, and in addition to there not that being many – being many girls here, um, there's like a, a demographic. There's a few demographics here in Jackson, and there. So there's there's like the ski bum folks who like work at the resort, work at the resort, or work at a ski shop. And we're not saying um, they're bums. We're just saying they're like they like. To well, they're ski bums. They probably like that term. They probably do. But, like, but there's like them. there's like them, and you know, they work really really hard, and they just want to be skiing or climbing every single day. And then there's the millionaires and the billionaires who live here or vacation here part time. And then, and there's, then there's the five percent. There's a group. Yeah, we're in the middle. We're we're not millionaires. Not even close. So we have to work hard, and we we're we're not coasting. Like we, you know, we do our thing to get by. But we have we both have really good jobs. But we're not. The thing is, we're not working seasonal jobs. We're, yeah, we're, we're not, not bartenders. Sure. Yeah. We're not. We're not um, tuning skis at night to go ski during the day. Um, you know, we have full-time jobs. I'm on, I'm salaried, you know, it's like this, it's just a little bit different. And so there's, um, there's not that many people like that where they have good jobs or they run small businesses, but they're not millionaires, but they're not ski bums. So they don't, their life isn't skiing. And so we just kind of had to find that, those people. That didn't happen And we've definitely like met the people who are the ski bums and are the whatever, and they're wonderful. But um, you're just kind of, I don't know, it feels like you're at like you have so much more in slightly common with a different place who, in your life, I guess. You have so much more, we have so much more in common with people who want to do like a career type job and yeah. not 
maybe necessarily well just someone who's not like as a nomad like we're not we don't want to move every season whatever like yeah that is right and it's good for certain people but it doesn't really work for us and like um it it probably wouldn't be it what am i trying to say so like to be friends with the people who are just jumping around from place to place wouldn't really work for us because then we never see them so we're trying we were just trying to establish like a core group of friends who we want to be around who want to be around us and now we've been here for what like eight months and i feel like we finally have that and We've got Friendsgiving coming up next Wednesday, so we're super excited about that. And it's a major guy-to-girl ratio, but we, we love Yeah, I think it probably fits the, the city. Yeah, but, we, but like, I don't know. But we, yeah, they're we all... We get along with them great. We, we happen to find all these people who... I mean, uh, Alex, I think, came he came here last... Before us. October. Yeah, yeah but last October, and he's the longest one here. So everyone's been here within the last 12 months. Like, nobody's been here for 10 So everyone, years. like, we found this great group that all have, like, all have, are pretty like-minded, but they're all fresh here in town. So we're all looking for the same thing. We're all looking for a friend group to, to be our people that we want to, you know, do happy hours with and go skiing Over with. At Christmas and Thanksgiving. And yeah, we're going to yeah. do a Friendsgiving. We're hosting a Friendsgiving. Yeah. Even though our house isn't that big, but it'll be fun. It's good. We, when we lived in, at home, we... Had a super tight knit. We still do have this tight knit group of friends. We just that we don't live by them anymore, but um, we love them so much, and we wish they could come here every holiday with us and be with us. But we get that we kind of had to branch out and make more friend groups. But we go home like in a week, and we're gonna do a little um, couple weeks. Christmas get together, secret Santa deal with them, and. It'll be like nothing's changed, even though we've been gone for eight months. But that's kind of like what we were looking for when we came here with friends like that, that you're going to be friends with for a while. And it just takes a bit to find that. And I think that's something that people don't really realize when they move to a new place. And especially after moving here and talking to other people that have moved, it's not that talked about. Like when I talked about moving with with people who had moved to another state before, they never really mentioned like, how difficult that was. They were like, oh, yeah, it's great. I love it, blah, blah, blah. But it definitely takes a lot more um, than you think it does. I don't know. It was, to get new it just, Yeah, it was just a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. But we're in a good place now. Yeah, in addition to, like, the fun stuff, like, you just need, you just need people that are around you that care about your well-being, even the slightest, that will help you out if you need help. Like, yeah. Like Alex, out, yeah. Alex and I just helped our friend Alicia move, and uh, and like, like we are so settled. Butte. I don't know if we've talked about this at all yet on any of the podcast episodes, but where we live um, started on fire in September, right? Yeah, Labor Day. Labor Day, and um, it was just so cool because this group of friends that Tyler met just from like meeting Jeff at the bar texted us and they're like, "Hey, are you guys okay? Do you need anything?" And it's like. That's what we've needed. That's what we've been looking for since we moved here. And now that we have that, we're like even happier to be here. Yeah. Those and kind of everybody, pretty much anybody who knew we lived up here texted that I knew, texted me and just said to make sure we're okay and make sure we're out of the house and everything. Yeah. I haven't really talked about the fire on this, but I have talked about um, Saddle View a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like Fred made sure we got out. Um, that guy, Sandy, texted me to make sure we needed, didn't need anything. Yeah. But yeah, like everybody, 
People care. People it felt care. Really good. In even a though little, it was, we're in a state of kind of crisis, but it felt really good. In a little, it's texts. cool to be like in a little town where people that you're not even that close with will like watch out for you, and you might not notice that if nothing's wrong. But the second that something something's wrong, all of them are like making sure that you're okay, that you're okay, and that you have everything you need. Yeah, let's talk about the fire because I haven't talked about that yet. All right, we're gonna. So this this yeah. these next few minutes will be about the Saddle Butte fire. Um, it happened September. So, you know, it happened on Labor Day, Labor Day weekend. So um, Taylor and I were on the kind of the other side of town. Wait, can we rewind for a little bit just to discuss like some struggles of moving again? Sure. Okay. So. Um, I think one of the other things that makes it really hard about moving is if you're really close with your family. Um, shortly after we moved here, it was what, August? What? Well, I would have sent them away. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, my mom my and my sister are like my two bestest, bestest friends in the whole wide world. And um, they were supposed to come out here in the end of August. And then I got a call from my mom saying she was at the emergency department because she had really bad back pain and um, some, like, kidney problems. And I was like, that's weird. She's never had issues like that before. And they were supposed to come out here in two days. I was like, well, hopefully it's kidney stones to get it figured out. And then she come, her and my sister come because they hadn't been out here yet. Um, and I was super, Tyler and I were super excited for them to see, like, where we lived and we had all these plans to take them on these hikes and had like different adventures and whatnot. And then um, I got a call from my mom when I was on a bike ride calling me to tell me that um, they, she didn't have kidney stones. She didn't have a urinary tract infection and she had cancer. So that was like a, your whole world is rocked type of thing. Like my mom's what, how old are our parents? Fifties? 55. Not even. Like, they're not old. My parents are 55. Yeah, 50, 55. Um, with no risk factors to be diagnosed with freaking renal cell carcinoma was insane. So I bought a ticket home that day um, and flew home to be with her and make sure everything was okay. And she had surgery a couple days later. But it was just like, it's a freaking, like rocks your world when something like that happens because when you're home and you're close like you don't take that you do take that for granted when you're away and you can't be there and you want to be there that's something that you 100% are like holy shit what am I doing did I should I have moved out here blah 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 and I don't think you really fully understand that until you you are away from your family like that but um so that happened and then my mom is doing wonderful. Um, I came back a few weeks later, and then our our <laughs> neighborhood started on fire. So it was a few struggles all at once. Um, but so we, I came back. It was like what three, four days later. Yeah, not very long. I'd been home for back. like three weeks. Um, I came back and saddle boots on fire. Tyler and I go and stay in a hotel. We're we, yeah, taking we were pictures from the top of a rooftop of our road on fire, and we're like, are we going to lose everything we own? 
Good thing we have renter's insurance because like, yeah. we don't so have that down. much, but... Yeah, let's, let's take it through the whole okay. thing. Okay, okay, you go. So, uh, we, were, we were at the other side of town grocery shopping, but you can see the backside of the hill we live on pretty much from anywhere in town. Um, and we step out and we just see like smoke and fire and we're, and Taylor's like, where is that? And I'm like, our butte. Also, Tyler's really good at like understanding where things are. Like I wouldn't, I'm yeah. so stupid. I would not have even known that that's our butte. Like I'd be like, oh, that's kind of close to our house. No, it was literally where we lived. Yeah. The hill that we live on on the opposite side. And so... Um, the fire started from a balloon, like one of those metallic-y birthday Healing. balloons. No, my, my mylar, mylar, yeah, mylar or something. Like one of those metallic-y balloons you get in a grocery store for like a birthday or an anniversary. Uh, it had get, gotten caught on the power line that goes across the bottom of the hill and started sparking, and then hit the grass below it. And that was in the end. It was in September, so. Um, you know, all of August had been super nice and sunny and it hadn't rained at all, which is normally here. So the sparks hit the grass and it was breezy that day. So it just hit the, hit the grass and started on fire. And then just the breeze just shot it right up the hillside. And then, so in a matter of like moments, the entire hill was on fire. Um, and like jumping from one spot to another spot. Like yeah. we look up all of a sudden the fire's like in control in one area and then we look up again, and the and it's like fully blazing in another spot, and it like was jumping. I don't know, like we're from the Midwest. We didn't have like fire wasn't a huge like yeah, natural like disaster the there. Yeah, fires. so we didn't really understand how fires worked, but or like how devastating they can be. Um, but yeah. it was crazy watching this place burn. Like yeah. this. So yeah. then we so we're like so the dogs were at home and we're like well, shit, we need to get home and get the dogs and get some valuables because we could be evacuated, probably going to be evacuated. So we start driving towards the main part of town, which our road starts near there, and there's only one road up um, to our to our houses. And there's so much traffic because the fire is right by the main road, right, on, right near Broadway, so they have it all shut down. The back roads are all just backed up. So we're just losing our mind. We're talking to a neighbor who can see it from because his restaurant. Because, our dogs are... are like actual world like <laughs> we we would, i would have taken off my like gotten out of the car and ran home to get them yeah. if we needed to so so there's only one road that comes to our house but then there's another road that's goes to a hotel that's we can see it from our back door here but it's probably what like a quarter mile from our yard yeah so we're like okay we can go over there no one's gonna be going that way so i rip around drive as fast as possible and get up there and get to the point that's closest to our house and we just hop out and there happens to be another guy there, a photographer from the newspaper in town. And he's like, hey, are you guys okay? And we're like, no, that's our house. Come help us. <laughs> so he comes and he helps carry shit for us. Um, Brad, Boner. uh, Brad Boner is his name. And he's like one of the head photographers there at the Jackson Hole News and Guide. So when you saw me post about us being in there, that's why. Because he just happened to be there with us. So we get to the house, get the dogs out, and they have no clue what's happening, but there's, like, smoke everywhere. Um, and we, like, get valuables, we get clothes, we get I get, like, my laptops and my cameras and, and stuff like that. And um, I just grabbed my bike and my passport. <laughs> yeah, we didn't know. 
It's a weird place to be in when you're yeah. like, oh you know, shit, you know you I could clothes. lose everything. What do I grab? Yeah, you know you need clothes. Uh, you know, like, you know, I need like my work stuff. But then it's like, well, what else? We have some more time. So we both grabbed our bikes. And the bikes, the Yeti, and the dogs. And, the, and my golf. I got my golf clubs because I was like, ah, valuable. You know, it's because you don't. It's just like you're under stress. You just like do weird. You stuff. don't know what you're doing. So yeah. Taylor's probably infamously now the girl in the newspaper that had to get her bike when the fire was burning her house. I needed a mode of transportation. Yeah. Um, and then so that we were able to get Taylor's car down the butte, so she drove that down the side that was kind of blocked off, and we got out. And then one of our neighbors. Their um, Don Allen and Cheney Hankins. There, they own uh, a brewery slash restaurant here in town, and they had invited all the um, neighbors over to watch from their little back deck that they have. So the whole neighborhood was there, and it was really—I don't know about you, but I really felt like that was our first time really becoming one with the neighborhood, like getting into. They the like mothered us. They like yeah, put their wings much... around us, and they're like, "What can we do for your guy, you guys?" Like they were going through the same shit that we were, like worrying that we were gonna lose yeah. everything, they except they were gonna lose more because all these people owned their houses. Yeah, and they still were like worried about everybody else. So that was super cool to be like, feel like people care about you and like who you haven't even really met. You just have this bond that you guys all live in the same place. So Don Allen and Cheney like legit took care of the whole hood that day and yeah we were like on the roof amazing. of their building watching the fire burn across the hill and we're just sitting there nervously because we're seeing like it's catching some more of the wooded areas and it's exploding basically yeah and we're watching an inch um you know where all the houses are you can't fully see from where we were so we're watching the fire inch around to the ridge line that would lead to a bunch of trees that would lead and to the houses. houses yeah and so we're just like, God, I hope this stops. And all the the fire department people that all the fire volunteers that came out, they did God's, work. God's work that day. There was mm-hmm. like three helicopters dumping buckets every five minutes, Good. spotter planes everywhere, um, hot shot guys. After the it dead died down that first day, it they was had, an they insane had, amount. Of they had like a hundred people just on our hill. Yeah. Um, what are they called? Hot shot. Hot shots. Hot shots. I don't know. It was like firefighters from They're all like these volunteer different... people. They, yeah, they pulled in people from like Oregon, yeah, Montana, like Idaho, different parts of Wyoming. These crews just to get them up on the hill to, I mean, I think they do a lot of like digging. To and like, they freaking kicked know. ass because there was nothing lost in this fire. No houses, no structures. Like, yeah, we lost a lot of, a lot of land, but... Nobody's personal belongings went up in flames. Nobody's pets went up in flames. Like, they did amazing work. Yeah, only one house had, like, a window broken. Yeah, like, just slight damage. That's it. Yeah. And then uh, some people, the yards were singed, but they were, like, dumping. There's, like, this red red mixture that they dump out of planes, Mm -hmm. and they were dumping on that, so, like, that's all over our neighborhood right now, but it's just, it's, like... Yeah, they did an amazing job to take this entire acres, acres of burning and stop it from getting into the houses. Which it was literally like you, if you saw the pictures of how close it got to these houses, it's kind of like you like painted a perimeter around the houses where the fire would just stop, Mm -hmm. which was like 10 to 20 feet in front of the houses and it burned right up to that. So it's insane. Um, the firefighters, the police officers, everybody who was involved with this fire did 
amazing work and we are so thankful for that. Um, I don't think anybody truly appreciates the work that these guys and girls do until you experience it. Like, I never really understood what fire, like, I knew firefighters fought fires, but, like, when your ship's about to go up in flames, you have a whole when new you can see the flames. appreciation for it. Yeah. Um, and that's just not something that was that much of a threat to us at home, and out here it is. So we've had three fires within five miles of our house <laughs> in the past four months. Since July, so, since August. Um, it's definitely something that's real and that we like have gained such an appreciation for since we moved out here. So, um, yeah, that's that's our scoop. That's our Jackson Hole Stories from a Mountain Town podcast. You want to end it now? Yeah, I think we're done. I think we need to crush this wine and be done. <laughs> Go to bed. Okay, okay, hold on. So, I'll ask the question that I ask everybody in the podcast. Oh, You've man. heard it. Um, Person, place, of the time, words, No, of oh. the words... Who, what, where, when, and why? Which of those words drive your actions the most in your life? Oh, gosh. Um, for me, it's probably who. Like Def- I, definitely the who it's for you. definitely the who for me. I take a lot of, uh, like a big aspect of my life is the people that I surround myself with. And like making them happy and just I don't I don't really know what I'm trying to say but every the people I'm around has a lot more of an impact on me than where I am um, what I'm doing or anything like that like I'm gonna be a lot happier if I'm with people that I love no matter where that is if it's in the freaking dump and I don't know somewhere like I'm gonna be super happy because I'm with the people that I love um I love living in a mountain town, and I love our our place back home, but for me, it's who I'm with. So, like, if I wouldn't have met, if we wouldn't have met the people that we've met now, I would not be happy out here. Like, I would be wanting to move back home. And this is a great place, but, like, it's not enough for me to to be like sad because I'm not around I don't have the people that I want to be around with me but thankfully we've met those people and we love that group of friends that we have um we freaking miss our group of friends from back home but we go home every two months for a wedding so it's fine but um we yeah the who is probably it for me like I my friends and my family are my entire world I can't it's so hard to be away from them anyway well duh you're always here with me but my, it's the hardest thing in the world to be away from my buddies and my family. Yeah, I definitely knew that about you before <laughs> I asked you it. Um, all right, everyone. There you have it. Another great episode of Stories from a Mountain Town. My girlfriend, Taylor Weiss, is the guest, was the guest today. Um, Taylor and Kendall Jackson. And Kendall Jackson. Shout out to our Chardonnay. Taylor, could you tell the nice people um, where... They can follow your adventure, our adventures on Instagram. What's your Instagram handle? Oh, my Instagram handle is at Tay Weiss. Um, you won't find much there. I think I have like about 59 posts from the past four years. But if you follow at Tyler and Bridger, you'll find a lot more about us. So Yeah. She does, does a, not, doesn't do a I ton of... I just forget. Uh, like regular posts. Does a lot of stories of like our, our dinners and our hikes and the dogs. Obviously a lot of the dogs. If you want to see the dogs... 
definitely follow us for that. But, All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. Good night.